None of the tips about beating jet lag worked on my cramped, long-haul budget flight to Kuala Lumpur. I considered not eating the meals, to trick my body into lacking energy so that I just fell asleep. I tried putting my watch ahead eight hours as soon as I boarded the plane in London and immediately adjusting to the new time zone. I attempted to keep track of what hour it was in the country we were currently flying over and going with that. Then I remembered that I'd paid extra for those tiny foil-packed meals and was determined to get my money's worth. There was no entertainment system, so no graphic of the aeroplane arcing its way across the world to give me a clue about where we were. And by trying to jump forward eight hours using an analogue watch, I was a bit confused about whether it was 4am or 4pm. So by the time we landed at Kuala Lumpur low-cost carrier terminal, I was a spaced-out, sweaty wreck. I knew the temperature in Malaysia would be 30 degrees centigrade plus and the humidity high, yet I was dressed in jeans, mid-calf Gore-Tex sailing boots and a t-shirt, with both a cardigan and a waterproof jacket tied around my waist. Why? Certainly not for the style. Simple. Excess baggage. When I booked my ticket, I opted for the 20 kilogram option, reasonably assuming that when I went away on a two-week holiday, I only ever packed about 12 kilograms and never used most of it, instead living in the same four or five items. But then, like a good little journalist, I started thoroughly researching things one might need to pack on one's back when going travelling. Once I'd thrown in stuff I might need for an off-the-beaten-track, who-knows-where-I-might-end-up-sailing adventure, life jacket, boots, waterproofs, thick, padded mid-layers and woolly hat, in case I found myself somewhere colder than the equator— Months worth of contact lens solution, a mosquito net, medication, makeup, high heeled sandals for nights out, a sleeping bag, and sterile needles in the event I needed to go to some godforsaken hospital in the jungle. I was struggling with the pre booked 20 kilogram limit. Then I had to add some apparently essential items that my host was having trouble finding in Asia a home brew beer kit and a cat flap, and I busted the maximum 30 kilogram limit. It cost me £93 in excess baggage for the first flight, and about £13 for the internal one, and was a lesson sorely learned. Especially as it happened, I would never use most of it, including thankfully the sterile needles, and would instead mainly recycle the same four or five items of clothing. Neither, it would turn out, were the beer kit and cat flap actually essential. The beer would not be drunk, and the cat would never pass through the flap. At baggage collection at Kuching Airport in Sarawak, Borneo, I waited an age for my two pieces of luggage until it was just me and a pair of Malaysian girls left. I began to worry that bringing a 40-pint IPA home brew kit into a Muslim country was a crime and that the cat flap Steve had had delivered to my office and that I hadn't bothered checking was really chock-a-block with drugs. I was contemplating my impending incarceration when my bag finally appeared all okay. The only instructions I had about where to go from here were in the form of a text message from Steve, telling me to get to somewhere called Santubong, so I paid my 70 ringgit, 14 pounds, up front at a kiosk, and got into a slightly shabby-looking red and yellow taxi for the one-hour ride. We drove past palatial homes, white and square, with balconies and tall iron gates closing them off from the street, not quite the jungle shacks I'd imagined for Borneo. Next came rough-looking collections of concrete shops, like I'd seen on holiday in Mexico and Egypt, and then 
an out-of-town pizza hut and KFC complex, and a suburban area that reminded me of Oxford's inner ring road. All the cars on the road were boxy in shape, with matte paintwork. Oxford's inner ring road in the early 1980s. Steve had told me by text message to go to the police station, as it was the nearest landmark to where he was anchored. The driver looked at me doubtfully as he pulled down a dirt alleyway. There were no houses in sight, only the police station, set in a garden dotted with rusting cars. No people, either. I rang Steve while my bags were being unloaded. See a white gate at the end of the hill? he asked. Yep. Go through there, along the road, and I'll jump up and meet you. The taxi driver still looked dubious, but drove off and left me there anyway.